Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. It's great to be back together again today. Welcome to Sunday morning service. We are the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here. We would love for you to to be more involved with the different things that we've got going on and, and get to know us more. And we would love to get to know you more. So at the end of this service, you're going to find out about how we can connect with each other through social media, some of the other things that we've got going on as a church. And hopefully we'll be seeing a lot more of you and you'll be seeing a lot more of us. So make sure you stay to the end to find all that stuff out. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Last week, we talked about this being a time of reset. That as we come out of 2020 into 2021, that we can reflect and we can look at our lives closely and carefully and, and see the things that we feel like we could get a do-over on or some of the things that we felt like we were weak in or maybe we lost going through 2020 and what can we learn and what can we do to, to grow and to become strong. And as we move through 2021, it's going to be really important that we look closely at some of the basic foundational stones of who we are as Christians, both individually but also who we are collectively as as a church. And our theme for the first six months of the year is renewal. And we'll be talking about a renewed faith, renewed love, renewed hope, renewed purpose, and a renewed vision. And for January, we're going to focus on having a renewed faith. And specifically this morning, I want to talk about having an unshakable faith. So let me ask you a question. How steady is your faith? Because if there was ever a time where you needed a rock-solid faith, this is it. I mean, let's face it, we are living in very uncertain times. The events that were going down at the U.S. Capitol this week, you know, I'm sure you saw those news stories. And then maybe you flipped channels and there was another story about a new strain of COVID virus. And, you know, you know, we're not sure what to do with that. I mean, it seems like every other day there's something else coming at us. And so the days are uncertain, and so much is beyond our control. But the one thing that really is in your control is your faith. You can decide, I'm going to develop my faith. And so no matter what comes, I'm going to have a strong enough faith that I'm going to stay standing. Or you can decide to let your faith slide, to not even give it any effort. And when you get hit with things, instead of standing firm, you're going to fall. Now, what would you rather do, fall or stand strong? I think we'd all like to stand strong. And so we need to develop that unshakable, strong faith. Faith in God. Faith in his love. Faith in his power. Faith in his sovereignty. And faith in Jesus and his guidance and his plan to lead us into all truth. And so these are the things where we need to stand firm. And Paul has some really encouraging words for us here in 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning in verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And so what was Paul's message here? Well, one, it was a reminder. It's a reminder that, that God chose you. Now think about it. Seven billion plus people in this world and God chose you to hear the truth found in the word, an opportunity to respond, to be saved, and share in the glory of Christ. I mean, how awesome is that? I know you've received a lot of things in your life, and maybe coming out of this Christmas season, you receive some nice gifts from the people that love you. But you know what? There's nothing as awesome as what we received from God. And so it was a reminder that God chose you and brought you into this life. And then because of all that, he tells us, stand firm. Hold on to what you have and to what you've heard and to what you've learned. Let nothing rattle your faith in God. And let nothing shake the foundation that you so carefully built through your study of the word and through prayer and through fellowship of the disciples and, and being part of the body of Christ, the church. And as important as this was for them, it's equally important for us. Because we all want a faith that will move a mountain. And I bet going into this year, you've got some, you've got some mountains you'd like to move. But that won't happen unless you have faith that will keep you grounded and stand firm in your faith. And so when it comes to faith, we do need to be men and women who are unshakable. Now, look with me in John chapter 6. In John 6, there's a great lesson of the importance of building a faith that's strong enough to stand up to whatever comes against you. We're going to pick this up in verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so Jesus is on the road with his disciples, as he often was, and we can safely assume that they were all with him as they always were. And he chose, he chose two to make a point, Philip and Andrew. And he sits down for lunch and he notices that there's a great crowd coming toward them. And I bet this happens to you all the time, right? You're out with a friend, you sit down for, for lunch, maybe outside in a park, keeping your distance, right? And so the next thing you know, you look up and there, there's 5,000 people descending on you, right? That happens all the time. No, it doesn't, but it did happen to Jesus. And because everything with the Lord was always a teachable moment, right? So he didn't let anything slide. I think he knew how I handle this is key. What would these guys see? What would they learn? And so look at verse 5 again. 
he looked up, he saw the crowd, and he says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all of these people to eat? Now, that's a very interesting question. Why, why ask? Especially because it says he already knew in his mind what he was going to do. So why ask Philip, hey, Philip, what do you think? What should we do? About 5,000 people descending on us because they're hungry and we don't have any food to give them. This was a test of their faith. Jesus had been performing miracles for quite a while now. And the crowds were obviously impressed. And the question is, besides being impressed, were they convinced? And as often was the case with Jesus, impressing the crowd wasn't nearly as important to him as the few who were serious about commitment. And so Jesus didn't want to just impress a lot of people, but he was always testing their faith. How much do you really believe in me? And so look at Philip's response. He says in verse 7, it would take more than half a year's wages. Some translations say eight months wages to buy enough bread for each person to have one single bite. Now, the truth is he was probably absolutely right. But the problem was that's not the answer that Jesus was looking for. And so maybe Andrew would have a better grasp of things. Look in verse 8 and 9. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go? among so many now that's a good question as well okay well we've got some food but i don't know five thousand people a couple of fish and some bread it's not looking too promising philip is probably thinking what at least at least my answer made some sense your answer makes no sense at all but since these seem to be the only two options jesus goes with the latter he takes that small amount of food and he's going to show them that if you have faith in me, I can make a lot out of a little. And it's a story that we all know. Pick it up in verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. So they sat down and about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had had, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After all the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is a prophet who's come down into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So what do you think this miracle did for all of them? I think it built their faith. They saw, you know what? He really can do things that can, can nearly only be imagined. Jesus can do anything. I think they were convinced. Jesus is the one. I mean, surely he's the prophet that's come down into the world I mean, there was no question, no doubt. There'd be no shaking of this faith because they saw the miracle with their own two eyes. Have you ever seen a miracle? I mean, really, have you ever seen a miracle? My guess is you're probably saying, well, yeah, I've seen miracles. I've seen, I've seen God perform miracles in my life and my family. I mean, you know, a year or so ago, Fiona was in a very serious car accident 
she uh, spun out, she hit a tree. The, the, uh, dr the passenger side of the car was completely caved in. The driver's side where she was sitting obviously was not. But part of the roof buckled and actually hit her in the head. She had 25 staples put into her head. She was half a revolution away from that car spinning to not being here anymore. And so even just recovering from, from the concussion, it's like, that's a miracle. To me it is. We've all seen God work in ways that we can't explain. Has that really cemented your faith and fixed your feet firmly in God and in his kingdom? You see, we'd all like to think so. And, and maybe it has. But what if it hasn't? We'd all like to think that when it comes to our, our personal faith, we're standing firm. We're on solid ground. And, and I hope you are. But what if you're not? How would you know? It's when your faith is challenged. And so after they have this nice big meal together, they all go their separate ways. The disciples take a boat across the lake. Jesus walks across the lake. And the crowd, well, they stole a few boats and they went across the lake as well. And eventually they, they all meet up. And we're going to jump down to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So he doesn't even get to the how, all right? But here's what he has to say in verse 26. Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, but not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. And so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? I mean, what did they just see? So what sign will you give us that we may believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who is giving you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread, I'm sorry, for the, yeah, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And so he, he challenges their, their motives. He says, I know, I know what you're really looking for in all this. It's not faith. You're not really interested in your faith being built up. It's food. Your motive is not me. It's you. It's all, it's all very self-serving. It's, it's what, what can I get out of this right now? What will you fix right now in my life? And show me another sign. Show me another sign. You know, let, let me see what, what you can do. Fix this right now. And Jesus is essentially saying, look, don't worry so much about that. It's not about more food and more food and more food. He's saying, look deeper. Look eternal. I've got something for you that's, that's way better than a loaf of bread. 
And so he goes on to tell them in verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you see me and you still don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. And at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I've come down from heaven? In this message, he wanted them to get, he wanted everybody to understand. Do you know who I really am? And do you understand what it means to be a part of me? Because following me is, is a lot more than just getting your fill at the moment and, and having your immediate needs met. It's way deeper than that. He says, look, through Moses, God gave your forefathers manna to eat while they were in the desert. So they're, they're traveling through the desert and like literally food just fell from the sky. But he says, I'm a lot more than that. Because I'm here not just to simply give you a meal right now and, and, and meet your needs for the moment, but you know what? I'm here to give you what you need for eternity, and that's a whole lot more important. And he's trying to paint a picture for them, a bigger picture for them, and they're, they're just not seeing it. They're, they're grumbling and they're, they're complaining, and you know they're saying, well, who do you think you are? They were missing it. How is Jesus viewed by the crowds today? Well, I think to some degree, kind of in the same way. I mean, we look at, at greater Christianity, okay? So Christianity as we see it throughout the world versus what we see in the Bible. And this notion that, that Jesus really is the Son of God and that he came down from heaven to, to be with us and to walk with us and that through him and, and him alone that we have the promise of eternal life. And, and then because of that, we should, we should follow his word and, and make him Lord and, and listen to what he has to say and, and walk with him daily. I mean, all of that seems pretty far-fetched, honestly, to the average person out there that says, I'm a Christian. And the reason why I say that is by what I see and what you probably see as well. For many, Christianity is a cultural thing. It's not really a lifestyle. And if people really believed what was in the Bible and, and all that Jesus has to say, they'd be living lives very different than the way they live right now. And there wouldn't be this check-in mentality or, or what can I get out of this or I'm going to pray when I need something or, you know, I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday or I'll, you know, think about Jesus, you know, when, you know, somebody tells me I should think about Jesus. I mean, it would, it would be this lifestyle that you just can't get away from. There would be this, how can I fully experience this life in Christ that I say I believe in? See, there's a big difference because one is, is self-serving and the other is God-serving. And, and therein lies the problem with the masses, with the crowd. A self-serving Christianity doesn't cut it. 
It's missing the whole point. As the crowd with Jesus was. And if, if, if we don't get the, the, the why and the, and the how we should be following, it becomes easy to grumble. And so with this crowd now, he, he tries to explain himself. And it's quite a story. Look at verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I'll raise them up at the last day. And it's written in the prophets. They'll be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Well, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna, and they died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he said this while he was teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. Now, this is, this is quite a story. I mean, you can just imagine sitting in that audience and hearing this. I mean, they were just stunned. This is hard to swallow. I mean, what, what is he saying here? I mean, this, this isn't easy. And some of them actually took him literally. Oh, my gosh. He's saying to follow him, we need to eat flesh and, and drink blood. But that's, that's not what Jesus was saying. He says, look, if you're going to get this, if, if, if you're going to follow me, you have to become a part of me and me a part of you. And I have to be in you and you have to be in me or you have no part of me. I mean, that's how, that's how serious this was. That's how, that's how dogmatic Jesus was about this. It's like there, there's, there's no compromise here. He says, but if you're able to consume and absorb my love and my compassion and my values and, and my priorities, and if you can just grab hold of my mission and my purpose and my goals and my dreams, you'll be set now and forever. We have to literally become one and stay one or this isn't going to work. Now, as disciples, we say, Amen. Man, that's, a, that's the lifestyle of a disciple. That's what we want. We know who we follow, and we know why we follow. But the, the, the crowd wasn't buying it. They weren't getting it. 
that's the piece that they were missing. This this whole oneness. We need to, you know, you and me and I and you. They, they, they weren't getting that. But this is the message the disciples, of course, would never, ever miss. Right? They always got that message. They were always, you know, in tune with that. Well, look at verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. And yet there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, from this moment, I'm sorry, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now, this is a very interesting turn of events. Who had Jesus been talking to this, this whole time? Well, I'll give you a hint. It wasn't the disciples. All of this message we talked about where he goes through the whole thing, that, that was to this crowd trying to win them over. What we just looked at was addressed to the skeptical crowd. In his mind, probably not to the believing disciples. They were just sitting around listening. But what happened? When verse 60, their faith was now challenged. And, and it's probably surprised Jesus to some degree. I don't know how easily he's surprised, but you know, it's like he looks over, it's like, you know, what? Like he expected that from the crowd, but now the, his own disciples, they were challenged and their faith was shaken to the point where some of them said, we're no longer gonna buy into this. We no longer follow. And they, they, they walked away. And I wonder why, were they really offended by what Jesus said? I think they started off with really good intentions. They planned on staying with the Lord forever. But they failed to count the cost, what this would mean as, as time goes on and things got more challenging. And maybe what was initially acceptable about a life in Christ was now a hard teaching. And they weren't sure if they wanted to do it anymore. And once, what was once solid ground they were standing on was shaky. And they began dropping out. And for them it all came to light when they realized that although they claimed to be disciples of Jesus, in that moment they realized, guess what? We're no different than the crowd. And they walked away. And there's a great, great lesson here for us. Whether you've been at this a long time or short, if you expect to have an unshakable faith, then you have to count the cost. And then count the cost again. And then count the cost again and again and again. Every day of your Christian walk, it's not like a set it and forget it. Every day it's, okay, today, am I going to be a disciple of Jesus? Today, am I going to follow the word? Today, am I going to pray and, and believe in my prayers? Today, am I going to have an unshakable faith? Or am I going to get knocked down and walk away? You've got to stay with it. Because if you don't, you may find yourself one day saying, you know what, this, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Even though it's the same teaching 
you've always had. Remember the, the opening scripture? Right? So Paul said to, to really stand firm in the things that you've heard, whether they were through, you know, me or through a, a messenger or whatever. Hold on to the things that you know are right and true. You may find yourself saying one day, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it and walk away? And so here's a question. I want you to think about a couple of things. Has what was once basic discipleship now become too hard of a teaching and too hard to accept? Being consistently in the word in prayer. Maybe at one time, man, that was just like, that was a habit. That was automatic. Now it's like, man, I can't seem to find time to, to get in the word and, and, and pray anymore. Maybe being in a discipling relationship. You know, that's one of the foundation stones of our, of our fellowship is that we have one another relationships and we're in there with each other and we help each other and we, we hold each other accountable and we pray for each other. But when's the last time you had that kind of a relationship with somebody? Has that basic teaching of one another become a hard teaching and you're just not doing it? Being open with your life, striving for righteousness and, and holiness, being strong in your personal integrity, your commitment to the body and to, and to the church and, and serving and sharing your faith. I know it's hard now, but you can still do it. Being in a Bible with, study with somebody, helping somebody become a Christian. I mean, these are the basic building blocks that we all agree to. And they can't be neglected. Jesus didn't pull any punches when he said this wouldn't be easy. We're called to go beyond what we see in, in greater Christianity. And we're called to really live it. And not to follow the crowd, which is exactly what those disciples were doing. As the, as the years are going to be going on, we all have decisions to make. Will I continue to make it happen in my relationship with God? Or will I make excuses? Will I stay with it? Or will I walk away? Because I just think it's too hard now. We know some did walk away from Jesus. But not everybody. Let's close this out with verse 67. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus has the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And Peter speaks up on behalf of the group, as he often does. And sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth. But, you know, this time he spoke with a lot of wisdom. He says, yes, it's challenging. And this is a hard teaching, Jesus. Following you is not a, a part-time thing. It's not a thing we just check in and out of. But he says, where else are we going to go? Because as challenging as it is, it's the only way. It's the only life that's going to mean anything. And at the end of the day, whenever that day is, it's the only life that's going to count for anything. And it was, it was a challenge for all of them. And Peter had his moments. He dipped, he was, he was down, he was up. But he, he, he got it together. And if you read through First and Second Peter, you see that this, this is a man who, who dug his, his feet into the ground, his heels into the ground, and he had an unshakable faith. And he stayed with it.
Are you going to stay with it? I certainly hope so. Remember, you have to count the cost and then recount the cost every stage of your Christian walk. And if you get to the point where you, you, you find yourself saying, this is a hard teaching, can I still accept it? Say, yes, I can. I have nowhere else to go. Dig your heels in. Become unshakable. Because that's the faith that finishes. Amen. Guys, great being with you. Have a great afternoon. Thanks. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcasts.